You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Veronica Kral-Igli. We're going to be talking about extracellular vesicles. Uh, she's in the Department of Prosthetics, the Chair of Biomechanics. Um, and the university name in the country, I'll let her explain because it's a little bit difficult for me to pronounce. But welcome, Veronica. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tell me about your research. What are you working on? So I'm a physicist uh, in my uh, education, and I am working on different things. But extracellular vesicles have been, uh, in last years, maybe uh, the thing that I like most, because they they uh, have such a potential in uh, medicine and biology and also to the beauty of them. So they uh, <laughs> uh, somehow... I, I, I've been working on many problems, also uh, from uh, classical physics and quantum physics and uh, also medicine, uh, in orthopedics. Uh, but I think I'll, I'll be working on extracellular vesicles uh, for the rest of uh, my career. Fascinates you about them? So uh, it's, it's a thing that is in, uh, on the border between living and uh, inorganic matter. So it is... Uh, kind of a challenge because, in fact, uh, most of the questions are still unanswered in understanding of the functioning. And therefore, also there is in medicine, there is still no cure for cancer in general uh, based on the understanding of the mechanism. So these uh, little uh, vesicles present kind of a hope that maybe we will get to the understanding to the, of the functioning of living systems. And uh, therefore, uh, they, they present kind of a, a challenge and a hope. I would think that extracellular vesicles are used in cell-to-cell communication. So I was wondering, how does the cell process inbound vesicles? How does it know which ones to let in and which ones not to let in? Do you think it's looking at the membrane characteristics of the vesicle? So one point is that the cell knows that the cell has an intention. So this is a philosophical point of thinking that cells are quite uh, organisms like us. 
But there is a question if there is an intention to this, if there is not only a minimization of the energy of a system, which is purely physical. So this uh, question is yet unanswered. And uh, for sure, uh, our bodies are subject to laws of physics. And in particular, self-assembly on the uh, size of the uh, extracellular vesicles, these are nano-sized or mi micro-sized particles, are subject to the physical laws, uh, like entropy law or uh, energy law. So there is a question about it. If there is an intention or recognition of, or there is just a physics behind it. have to be a recognition of self and other, because again, a, a cell communicates with other cells. So how does it know that it's communicating? Let's say it's a liver cell. It must know other liver cells somehow, and it must know that it is communicating and it is receiving messages. So I would think it would definitely have a, a, um, a definition of self and other. So let's uh, think about uh, the vesicle as composed of lipid molecules with some proteins and if uh, this, pro this particle approaches cell membrane, it is energetically favorable that it, some of these molecules are integrated into the membrane of the cell. So in this way, it uh, the cell recognizes or accepts the vesicle and the, its contents. It is not uh, necessarily specific. It could be also non-specific. But... Uh, some some cells have special receptors, and um, if uh, the, the vesicles contain other molecules that are uh, that interact with these receptors, then this is also a possibility. How the cell recognizes the vesicle? It is on a molecular oh, level. But life itself goes against. It seems to go against the second law of thermodynamics. It seems to create order from order, and you know the. I know eventually we die, all organisms die, but for a time being, life seems to be the only thing that goes against the increasing amount of entropy in the world. Not really. There are also processes uh, that go against the, let's say, increase of the entropy. Um, for example, also uh, this bending of the membrane uh, could, could, be, uh, could imply uh, higher order uh, subject to increase of temperature, which is against uh, most of the processes which uh, we say that obey the entropy law. So the entropy law is maybe one of the most uh, magnificent laws, the strongest laws of physics. And although there are some exceptions to it, um, it could be, but the probability that this will take place is very small. So the, the law of the entropy should be obeyed that um, extracellular vesicles are deliberately created by the cell with an intention to communicate with other cells or, you know, like in the creation itself of the EV, I mean, there has to be intention and a specific result or a specific outcome desired. It doesn't seem like it would just be a favorable energy state. It could be, but we don't know that. It could be just a favorable energy, but it could be also intention. So we don't know this for sure. And uh, if there is an intention, of course, <laughs> um, that would be very nice. What experiment I'm, do you think is needed to prove intention? Um, 
So uh, for sure it's easy to prove that uh, non-intentionally non -intentionally the, the vesicles are formed because we have artificial membranes which form vesicles just as well as the cell membranes. And these vesicles are also can be taken by cells just as those formed by cells. Not, not, it is not necessary that you have an intention to have vesicles. How to you know, prove vesicles, that? Vesicles were discovered to have RNA and other sophisticated components in them. But have, them. have we made man-made ones with RNA and other items in it like that? It seems to be very sophisticated. Uh, no, no. Uh, uh, genetic material cannot, uh, is not necessary to be in the vesicles, but there, there could be. It depends on which part of the cell the, the, the vesicle is, um, is, is formed. So it is... Uh, Possible to have a microRNA or RNA, uh, but also not necessary. Some uh, you you can also have um, uh, erythrocyte membranes, for example, or um, vesicles formed from them. So it it is it is quite a heterogeneous system. There could be very many types or forms of vesicles. Any in particular? Mm. What do you what are you trying to figure out about vesicles in particular? So uh, now at this point, I think the problem is to have a repeatable uh, isolation of vesicles. And it seems that the vesicles are formed in the process. So uh, we can think about in vivo processes based on vesicles, but when we want to look at them, we have to isolate them and study them. And these processes are very aggressive to the vesicles. So there is no... Uh, um, existing method now that that could be standardized or uh, repeated in a um, satisfactory way. That's why the vesicles still didn't get to the clinics because the, uh, there are so many questions about how to get them. It's difficult to get them, and we don't know when, when we get uh, them. Have some researchers isolated the EVs, and then can you isolate one EV? and open it up to look at its contents, for instance? Yes, yes. Uh, we could look uh, by transmission electron microscope or uh, with uh, scanning electron microscope, how they look like. We can isolate and we can look, but there is a question whether these vesicles were made in vivo in the body or are they a product of the uh, isolation process? That means an artifact. So uh, you cannot have a... Uh, camera in the body to take um, image of the vesicle when it's formed. So you have to uh, harvest them in some way. And this harvesting interacts so much with the system that what you get is much different from what you started from. And this is a problem because these vesicles have a, don't have a fixed identity like cells that you can gather them in the form that they were uh, created. Just by looking at them, you change uh, them. If, if, if I thought if the uh, the vesicles are budding off from the membrane of a cell, that they would share very closely the characteristics of that cell's membrane, and then you could yeah. trace them back to a particular cell, especially in culture. Maybe, but how to get them, how to look at them? So you have to uh, take the culture, centrifuge it, at very high force, and uh, this, because they are not uh, compact like cells, and they fuse or uh, fragment further, so what you get is not what you started from, and this is a problem. 
So this is a nasty system so, to study. I thought that fluorescence, uh, fluorescent tagging allows you to overcome the Abbey limit, the optical limit, where you can view them with a regular microscope and they don't have to be uh, in a spun down. You can see the vesicles, but they're not necessarily the ones that were made in the body or in the culture. So the process has changed them considerably. So you're looking at something, but not necessarily the original thing. Could be. So how do you know that you're not looking at the original vesicles? That what tells you that? We don't know. But there are indications, for example, when you isolate and if this, uh, the, the average size of the vesicles that you measure depend on the temperature that you used or on the uh, speed of the centrifuge or on the process that, uh, let's say, the, the equipment, then you, you, you know that uh, you don't, you're not looking the, the, um, the vesicles with fixed identity. You're looking at the vesicles, but they, have uh, they have been uh, influenced much about the process with the process that that created uh, them so it is a it is a nasty system vesicles are spontaneously created or even if they're empty you know like the lipid membranes self assemble through centrifuging or through processing them i mean how would i don't understand like where would these other vesicles come from, if not from the sample. So, for example, uh, you have uh, erythrocytes in the sample, so you put them in the centrifuge, and because of this uh, high force imposed on them, they start budding, and um, the vesicles pinch off, but then they uh, touch each other in the the tube at the edge. They can uh, fuse make a bigger vesicle, and then they take some proteins from the, the solution, and then uh, they can fragment further. So this system is changing continuously. And then you look at them and, at one point, and you can see the vesicles. But there they have been so many changes from the point that they were created. There could be so many changes that you're looking at some other system. There are also vesicles. Okay. And uh, well, again, fluorescently tag them and watch them in vivo. The fluorescent molecule is just something that uh, then you can see uh, on the microscope. You can see them bigger because the fluorescence enhances this. And uh, they, they could be moved by, with the vesicles, together with the vesicles, and they could fragment further. And it doesn't matter that they, you, you can fix them. You cannot fix them just by labeling them. This is just... Uh, one more cargo to go with the vesicles, the fluorescent dye. So that is the uh, how I mean, to in say. In some it. way, I mean, you could say like nothing is is for sure. Nothing can be proven. You know, I mean, like at some um, point no, you have nothing. to say, okay, you know. No, no, no. Uh, at this point, now we have not proved this yet. So the research is going on. It's not hopeless, but for. Uh, at this point, it is poorly understood what's going on with the creation of vesicles. So these mechanisms have to be studied from uh, also from bio, uh, from point of biophysics, biochemistry also, and biology. And uh, because this problem is so complex and uh, difficult, so many scientists try to get together, like in this uh, International Society of Extracellular Vesicles, to, to standardize or uh, to understand better what's going on. And I hope that these uh, efforts will uh, prove fruitful.
it's impossible to see anything. So how would you truly isolate the vesicles to know what's going on? What's your recommendation? So maybe it's not necessary to uh, to try to do that. And maybe it's uh, also good to think of the procedure that will give you a controlled way to get the vesicles, to accept that this artifact could be clinically relevant. So you have to understand the, the, uh, the system and then try to get most of it and not try to force the methods which were uh, developed maybe for inorganic systems or cells onto this system which is intrinsically different and should be uh, studied with the methods which are uh, specific for this system. So I think we, we should just go on trying to understand them better first. Without a specific way on how that would be done? Yes, uh, I think uh, theoretical studies uh, and uh, studies in particular of uh, isolation procedures, of the parameters that influence them, and of the content, what they uh, contain to have a, a better controlled methods. So all clinical studies as well, these efforts should be continued and also uh, results that are not so maybe uh, immediately, how to say, uh, useful should be taken into consideration because we should uh, acknowledge that this is a difficult system and that we need to uh, input a lot of effort to understand it. Your very specific research, what are you looking at very specifically to do? Presently, we are... uh, we are conducting two clinical studies. So we have one uh, about uh, using uh, also extracellular vesicles to heal chronic wounds. So one of my students is taking blood from a patient with chronic wound in the ear. And um, from this blood, they, uh, they make a platelet-rich plasma, and in platelet-rich plasma, there are many vesicles. So we are studying how many, how vesicles could influence the clinical outcome. And uh, this is kind of an autograft which is put into the ear of uh, this patient with chronic wound, and we have good preliminary results. Uh, so some of patients have healed. And so we are studying now the content of this uh, this uh, platelet-rich plasma with the vesicles to, to understand how did you that. Culture, how did you culture the vesicles? Uh, the vesicles are spontaneously formed in the process of isolation. So they are present in the blood already and they are then spontaneously formed because of the harsh treatment of the blood cells in the process. Forming some vesicles that for some reason are able to help these people... Uh, Heal? Do you have any understanding of the mechanism of how this would happen? So, for sure, the vesicles are very small. They have a big ratio uh, area to volume. So, they have small volume and big area. So, if the, the some uh, reactions are taking place on the membrane, it is better to have vesicles because you have a big uh, catalytic surface for that. The so they have a large surface area, I guess, in which reactions can happen. It have a large ratio area to volume. So for small volume, they have a large area. Also, uh, for, for blood clots formation, you have platelets, which are intended for that, but also the vesicles, which are pinched off from the platelets, can also catalyze the uh, blood clot production. 
also uh, it is good because there is a large area uh, if the membrane is fragmented into vesicles. So it's very effective. This is part of uh, normal healing that yes. we missed? Yes, yes. Formation of vesicles from the platelets themselves as part of a normal wound healing process. Maybe. It could, could say so, maybe, yes. Yeah, maybe that's, this just helps understand the mechanism by which uh, they work. Yes, yes. Or they're involved. Okay. Very good idea. Literally catalyzing the action of uh, platelets to make them more effective. Is that essentially what it is? Yes. So membrane of a cell uh, is not only one of the plasma membrane. There is a lot of membrane also inside the cell. It's yet not very well explored, but also you... We uh, we think that there is a, a a big pool of membrane inside the cell which can come out and take place in uh, these reactions as well. So budding is one of the mechanisms to somehow take advantage of this big adjacent pool of membranes, which is uh, somehow hidden in the cell, but when needed could be uh, accessed. If, if the membrane is needed, like in budding, in producing vesicles, so this pool is taken and uh, uh, there is a big uh, pool available of membrane inside the cell. It's in the nanostructures. In, it's not uh, like plasma membrane, but there are nanostructures like nanotubes present in the cell. And this pool can be uh, used by the cell. Cell has the ability to literally use... I mean, certain cells like like uh, platelets, they have they literally have the ability to use parts of their cell membrane to create vesicles that affect their action or improve their action, help catalyze it, and I guess accomplish other uh, other functions. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Seems so. <laughs> That's huh? Do you how how prevalent is this phenomenon? Do you think? Like, uh, do you think it happens in in the body? All the time, or yes. is it in rare in rare circumstances? It happens in the body all the time by all cells. It's a common uh, mechanism. Uh, it's a part of the physiologic mechanism, and it is uh, on the border between living and uh, and uh, inorganic matter. On the border between living and living, the vesicles themselves are on the border between living and, and inorganic matter. Yes. What makes you say that? Because they're subject to the physical laws, this <laughs> so we can, they're very similar. The the uh, the behavior is similar of the um, artificial membranes and of the cell membranes. So similar processes can be observed, and uh, cells take advantage of this. So they can also, of course, if there is uh, this how to say uh, essence of life put into uh, in wrapped into this. Uh, Inorganic matter, in fact, uh, but it is effective. So genes don't uh, go around naked. They are dressed in the membrane, and the membrane matters are important as well. What kind of functions do you think that they would serve? So we've observed in platelets that they're using them. I mean, this is not cannibalizing the cell. This is, I mean, so is the cell breaking off parts of its membrane to make these vesicles, but the cell obviously stays whole? And is unaffected, right? It is not unaffected, but it it gives a part of itself to communicate or to some intention, maybe. 
but it is a body of the cell that goes, it's like this, some of them say it's an extracellular uh, organelle, the vesicle. And these, um, I thought that the biogenesis of vesicles was budding of the, the membrane, but also, I guess, inside the cell too, there's some biogenesis of the vesicles as well that migrate out through the yes. outer membrane, right? Yes, it could bud inward or outward. It depends on the local composition. Okay, so uh, uh, is there a difference in how cells use the two different types or at least two different types of vesicles? So um, probably not. Probably the mechanisms would be the same, but uh, inward budding, uh, one one could think about uh, not necessarily pinches off the vesicles. They could stay connected by the network of nanotubes just as well. So it would be very efficient to, to move the the car going this way because it is uh, attached uh, on two ends and it goes without any losses. So this is very efficient movement of cargo in, within the cells. Also between the cells, we, we could observe that. So uh, adjacent cells are connected by the nanotubes and they can have gondolas to send uh, matter between each other. Also DNA could be in these tubes. So they, they can exchange matter in this way without uh, maybe budding off, uh, pinching off of the vesicles. But there, uh, because the tubes are very thin, sometimes you cannot even say whether they're connected or not. The vesicles, uh, on the other hand, are uh, convenient to uh, communicate between uh, distant cells also, not necessarily adjacent cells. So they could travel. Saying that the cell... Like a bacteria can, I don't know, literally extend nanotubes out from its membrane? Or like how would the nanotubes of one cell and another cell interact? Yes, yes. They can extend the nanotubes. It's a lot of evidence on that. Like what bacteria do? Also bacteria, yes. And algae, small uh, microorganisms also can produce nanotubes to communicate with other cells. Very common knowledge in a lot of the, maybe it's me, I might be totally wrong, but this doesn't sound like very common knowledge in the scientific community. Am I wrong? But uh, in the last 10, so uh, we have observed these uh, structures previously, but in 2004, there was a, a paper published in Nature by a scientist named Rastom. And since then, this uh, field has gained a lot of attention. Mm, the field of nanotubes. So the nanotubes are also popular. <laughs> tubes observed. I mean, what's their biogenesis and what does it look like when a cell <laughs> creates a nanotube and extends it? Like, have has this been seen in culture? Two cells, you know, communicating using nanotubes or at least extending yeah. nanotubes and linking with another yeah. cell? Is It was observed also. We have papers on this matter. And it is also... Uh, the nanotubes are also common in artificial vesicles. So the lipids are, uh, lipid molecules readily form nanotubes or other, also other nanostructures like inverted hexagonal stacks or uh, cubic phases, which is also a possibility to have in the cell. And uh, so the nanostructures are uh, favorable, uh, a favorable shape which is composed of lipid molecules. 
So vesicles are only one uh, type of these nano, nanostructures which is formed from the membrane. There are also other shapes. What are some of the major shapes? Uh, the tubes, tubes, story, and uh, um, spheres are very common, but also the hexagonal stacks and phases, non-lamellar phases. Amazing, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm I'm stumped at this point. Where, unfortunately, we're out of time. But uh, this is amazing. What what what's the best way for people to read some of these papers that you're talking about? Um, do you do you think you can email a few, or we could, so we can include them in the show notes? Yes, I would be very happy to. So it's true; it is amazing, and that's why I like the vesicle so much. So it it is not only the uh, the importance of them, but also the beauty of these things that is fascinating. And uh, I would be very happy to share some papers with you. Great. Well, for now, Veronica, thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm so happy that we made it. <laughs> You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.